Hello and welcome to VentureCast. I am David Hornick from August Capital. And this is Howard Hartenbaum, also with August Capital, and we have a guest today. We have our almost only ever guest, our perennial favorite. Jeff Clavier. Hey everyone, this is Jeff Clavier from SoftTech VC. Thank you for having me back. I know. Well, people love that accent, so we they keep they keep asking, get that guy with the accent back. Yeah, we had this um, great coverage of uh, my new partner Andy uh, McLaughlin sort of joining the firm, and one of the um, two funny sort of uh, quotes from journalists. One was, "Are we renamed?" Because he's half uh, Irish, half Scottish. And someone asked whether we were renaming the firm Heavy Accents. Um, <laughs> Does he have a heavy accents. accent? Yeah, no, he's okay. He's actually, you know, he's, he's British, so a bit of an accent. And <laughs> we should run Jeff through Auto Tune for this. <laughs> and then someone, the and then someone the sort of said the inimitable Jeff Clavier, because you can't fake that accent. Yeah, that's true. That is true. So tell me about this guy. I, I, I saw Congratulations. you. Yeah, we know because we are trying to find a junior partner to join us. How hard it is to find someone who is, who, who is both great and qualified and you like. Yes. So I. But we got AB. Like, we can talk about AB. Yeah, we have the awesome AB cats. Answer but, the question. Yeah. Sure. Gotcha. So, for the uh, the. The past couple of years, uh, Charles Hudson, my uh, partner, and I have been sort of maintaining that list of great people from the industry. So we had, we, we do a lot of SaaS slash B2B investments, and so we've always wanted to have someone with a um, SaaS founding background, someone who's gone through the scale of a SaaS business. And um, Andy has been sort of on that list, but we wanted also someone who was a great Android investor because the f the worst thing to do for a small fund is to have to spend the time and money to actually um, teach someone to become an Android investor or become a VC. So Andy was, uh, you know, is the founder of co-founder of a company called Huddle in the collaboration space. It's eight years old. Uh, started in London, moved to um, Silicon Valley a few years ago. And you know, he basically told us uh, a few months ago that he was thinking of moving on. And so we spent a lot of time with him, uh, with his companies, trying to understand his, his values, whether we're compatible, because obviously uh, he needs to sort of join the firm as a platform and, and sort of be uh, in tune with the values. So how do you do firm. that? You guys go out to a lot of dinners. You go dinners, spend time. That, uh, you went. And I'll take the fifth on drinking. Polo um, or, well, you know, mud wrestling. Does he like wine? Yes. Okay, that's a qualification. That's a requirement. He likes good food, he likes wine. He has a good sense of good, good sense of British humor. I understand his jokes. Um, <laughs> even though we have different accents, we understand each other. Uh, it's funny because I haven't heard all those sort of British uh, sort of uh, phrases and, and sentences and expressions for a long time. So it was uh, it was funny to hear like the words gutted or <laughs> tosser or whatever. Um, and he's always asking where the loo is. <laughs> he's always wanted to queue up. Oh my God! I can't uh, even spell that word. <laughs> That's because there's so many UEs. And then uh, I actually spent he's a lot so of time. Serious. Sorry. <laughs> he's like, when you two are done, okay, I'll I'm go sorry, back please. to discussing my new partner. You could only go if you could spell Q. Q. Uh, don't know how to spell yeah. Q. See, it's a hard word. I'm just um, like, I can't spell anything. And we, to answer David's question, uh, I spent a lot of time actually interviewing his founders. And what I liked a lot was that they described the way uh, Savendi was working with them with the same adjectives they would use for us. 
And so after basically four, about four months of discussions, uh, we made him an offer and he's joining us on April 6th and we're super excited. Very nice. Well, like I say, we know it is a path, it is a process, and I am constantly mystified that I was allowed to join <laughs> the firm that someone went through this process and was like, yeah, we should totally have David Hornick join August Capital. That would be an awesome idea. Well, because they, they saw the potential in you. They might have been the only ones, but they saw the potential. <laughs> they saw the potential that you didn't see in yourself. That's right. That's why they're good venture capitalists. Welcome aboard. Yes. Well, that's that's awesome. Congrats. But it's, it's, it's very, I mean, it's very challenging that because figuring out whether someone is going to be really good at what we do is impossible. So you look at the Android track record as a proxy and he has invested in great companies and we'll see whether he can actually go through this this phase of um, you know, looking at opportunities as he was as an angel and then putting a higher bar in terms of saying, well, this is a great angel opportunity, but it's not a good one for VCs. So, so Howard mentioned that we have this this guy, A.B. Katz, and mm -hmm. A.B. used to work over at uh, Crunch, Crunch Fund, Fund. Yep. and is you know great guy. People love him. He's very deeply embedded in the the kind of core angel community. You 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 know him. Yep. Um, but I've been having these same questions with him where he's looking and saying like, oh, what about this and this and this? And we say, okay, now we, we are not angel investors. We're not seed investors. We're series A investors. And so now you have to think about it differently. And each one of those is different, right? Even when we discuss later stage opportunities, like, oh, okay, we have to think differently about it. That guy, he has his own point of view on every company. you got to love it. Most guys at 23, 24 years old, they're trying to figure out what everybody else likes, and he'll make a list of 30 companies and go, pass, we should dig into this one, this one's interesting because of that, and I'm looking at that going, what an awesome guy. I hope he may be wrong, I he say, may I be right. I hope he's right. But I he has a point right, of view. That'd be pretty awesome. A lot of people don't have a point of view. No, exactly. This is, you know, having been an attorney where, you know, your job as the attorney, uh, I wonder how many years after I've been an attorney can I still say having been an attorney? It's been 15 years. At 20 years out, can I no longer say that? Like, David, you don't even remember what it was like. What did you say, you, having you, been single? <laughs> I don't say that because I have no recollection. Do you do your own legal mock-ups or not? I could if if not a good idea. I've, I've, been, <laughs> yelled, I've been yelled at by, uh, by our counsel when I have... Back in my days. That's uh, like me saying having been an engineer. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's yeah. that's a good one. Having been a CTO, not. Right. <laughs> so anyway, back in the day, you know, lawyers, it's here's the law and you make a decision, right? And so he could easily say, here is a description of all the things that just came up. You know, what it, it was just Y Combinator demo day, two days demo days. Were you there? Did you? Did you so my team was there. I wasn't. I had board meetings. Uh, but yeah, 120 companies over two days, 60 companies per day, two two and a half minutes each. Is it even possible? Like, is it even possible to consume that much information and get to... So we highlighted a few. We're, we're basically going through the YC demo day exhaust. Uh, there's a couple of companies that are sort of really different from what we do that, because there was a lot of deep science type companies this year. Um, so we're actually talking to a couple of those. Uh, the more are you going to pay the 40 million pre-money? No, it was 40, 40 yesterday. It's forty-two million. Going up, yeah, no, because it was, yeah, it, it's announced, and it's the companies will be more valuable. So it's, it's like the first one that gets done, and the valuation gets set. It only goes up from there. So forty. It, are, is there any company that you saw in there that you think is worth a forty million dollar valuation? I haven't seen the magic pitch. I don't think. I mean, is it's not even possible. Like, 
like in the real world 40 million is what people sort of pay for like super strong series a companies that have a ton of revenues nope price has gotten higher yeah i mean it, it, yeah it's gotten really ugly <laughs> I, but, but i think if you guys won't compete for that for that uh series oh well seed, seed round I series a i can't imagine paying 40 million for a one month old company that has that's just can't imagine can you no it just doesn't make s i mean look in the end here's the problem this is the problem we all face so we're gonna i'm gonna acknowledge it right here because i'm gonna i'm gonna point to david saying something that he told me when facebook got a hundred million post valuation by jim Breyer a long time ago and he's and we had breakfast and he said have you seen what Breyer sort of just did it gave hundred million posts to facebook is nuts no, that's what, what I was going to say is that... But he got sane really fast. In the end, <laughs> and then David Z was literally in my... We, 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 it, I remember this in the lobby conference. This was maybe the first lobby. So this is nine years ago or something, eight and a half years ago. And at the lobby, they announced the Microsoft investment, which was a $10 billion valuation. And David had come in at a $500 million valuation almost immediately after Briar and was like, well, that's insane. And then they announced this $10 billion valuation. I say, said to David, like, wow, that's incredible. And there was a lot of smiling and happiness. And yet, that was a 10x, <laughs> you know, at, at the IPO. Yeah. So um, so what I was going to say, like, the dirty little secret is, it's not really a secret, but it's what's fueling this, which is, if it works, those companies that are successful, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. The only problem is that if you have a portfolio, it does matter because they aren't going to work, right? Because you can't just pick the winner. So I'll disagree. I'll say if you happen to pick the winner and it's the 50 or $100 billion company, nothing else matters. But if you are betting like you're going to get the winner and you don't, you'll lose money. Exactly. That's my whole point. That's but you can make money. Not a little money. You'll yeah. lose a lot of money because yeah. you'll have lost four times as much money as you had intended to lose because you were wrong. You know, yeah. that, that's so the challenge. There are firms that their strategy is to make sure, do the best they can to be in the next $200 billion company, and that's a strategy. And there's other at firms. At any valuation. At any valuation. Doesn't matter, because so they think they'll that, be in it. Speaking of that, Slack's next funding round. They are now... So Two and a half billion. They just, they just, they just raised money at a, at a, at billion. At a billion, billion, and that seemed insane. And here it is. They're raising another $160 million at a $2.8 billion valuation, supposedly. But even if it's notionally correct, I mean... It's going to make money. <laughs> I mean, look, Stuart, good for you. I'm, I, don't get He's me wrong. raising money for nuclear winter and now. And Stuart himself said when he raised it at a billion, why are you raising a billion? Because I can raise at a billion. Now he's raising it at two and a half billion because he can raise it two and a half billion or whatever. It's crazy. If I were him, I would. It might work. Yeah. It's well, no, step back. Slack is working. Slack is getting a lot of usage traction and, you know, apparently is But if is it went public fast. today, it wouldn't get anywhere near that valuation. No, because, they had, you know, last time I checked, they were at the $6 million sort of yeah, run rate. Run rate. Yeah, but, exactly. but the point being, like, the private market... <laughs> no, wait, 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 wait. Can we just stop a second? $6 million run rate. Let's say it's even it's 16. Like, it's like 20 now. Yeah. 20, which it isn't. I mean, maybe it is. Maybe it is. I don't know. I'm not involved in the company. But 
yeah the disconnect between you know sort of the whole like looking at the trajectory and what it takes in the public market to um, because three billion dollars public market six times six eight eight times sort of revenue so it depends on growth but still whatever so it's hundreds it's hundreds of hundreds of yeah it should it should equate to hundreds of millions of revenue and but it used to be that the private market would be somewhat relevant to the public market and now it's the ability to get in a hot deal and pay two or three years in advance like it's the public market five years out and that's the bet but if they could if they could go public today they wouldn't get anywhere near the valuation it'd be worth less than a billion dollars based on on any any rational multiple well they wouldn't they wouldn't even go public because you know today to go public in 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 sort of in a good spot and sort of maintain your trajectory you need you know 50 60 80 million dollars in revenue Hawthorne works was sort of lower than that I got to say, everybody's talking about like every company I talk to, oh, we use Slack, we pay for Slack. I just keep hearing that from companies. And I don't know if it's a Silicon Valley bubble thing or something else, but they got the buzz. It is not in any way, my commentary is not to suggest that it isn't a a great product that has lots of excitement. Totally is. It's just Mm -hmm. this this, uh, disregard of anything fundamental. But we were just saying, Mike, that Facebook looks stupid at 10 or 15 billion than Microsoft. But, but you can't make choices based on the best deal ever, right? You can't, that's... So I disagree. People are making choices on what, and that's the bet. I know. Uh, okay. You can't make good choices. strategy. You can't make good choices based on the best deal ever, right? That's a bet. That, that is a... That is a failed plan over multiple companies. It so I think it may work on time. a fund, but it's not going to work over time. Like you can have a fund that makes money on a strategy like that, if but you the market get it changes. Right. No, if no, you, you get have it right. to get one right. Yeah. Like it turns out that you could easily miss all of them and have spent a lot of money. And you have to have the multiple it takes for our business to actually succeed. Right, because if you get into Facebook at 40 billion, yeah, you know, you'll get a multiple to the 100 billion dollar run-up, but you will still be a two and a half x, and you but you'll make suck. Yeah, Forbes on what amount of money? On what amount of money? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. No, it's it's it is nutty. But there's so many cases, you know, Bill Maris at Google Ventures going, I just put X hundred million dollars into Uber at a billion or two billion, and everybody's like, what? And a year later, it's like that was a good bet. There will be moments. I mean, this is the problem with the venture yeah. business is that in retrospect, it is easy and people are geniuses. Chris Saka is a genius. Yeah, he just like, yeah. You know, like that. You know, look at look at it, and and he bet big, and he had the confidence of a set of convictions, and and more power to him. But and he will have created the most successful fund in history, and will never be matched because doing a hundred x fund is impossible. No, he's way over a hundred. Bill Draper did 120 in his first fund. Okay. <laughs> this is way higher than that. Saka's fund is way over 100. Fund. It's a few hundred. It's a few hundred. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. We have so we are we just raised a 450 million dollar fund. So that if we do 100 x, 100. So what? How, many, how much value would we have to return to our investors? A few hundred billion. Four billion. So so yeah, 600, cool. is three quarters 40, of a trillion. 40 cool. billion returned to our investors. Call it 100 billion. I just don't see that happening. No offense to my investors. I, I'm, what's what's I'm interesting is that investors. you know in this business doing a 10x is already pretty good. <laughs> it's really hard. But it's like you know there almost we're no peasants. one has done 10x. No one no one does 10x on a big number. So some of it yeah. is just a law of large numbers problem, True. right? Which is some do. I think that Sequoia Kleiner's Google Fund was over 10x. 
And I think the eBay fund was over 10x. And it was because it was before people were raising big funds, right? Yeah. So those were 100 or 150 yeah. million dollar funds. Our first August fund was 100 or 150 million. And Bill Draper's right? 120x was a six million dollar fund. Yeah. So yeah. that's I mean you know it's easy. But that's like Sakas, yeah. right? It was exactly. a small fund and it's going to be worth Sakas is dollars. eight. Yeah. But Good it, for him. Yeah, so it just gets it gets harder. I heard he just bought Truckee. <laughs> could buy Tahoe get, given that you know yeah exactly right now he should buy up Tahoe he could own Tahoe because they're hurting without without any snow he could ship in ice from uh, from the Norwegian North ice uh, so so do we want to talk about bubbly bubbles I think or we just did I, that was it I mean well uh, we, we sort of talked about some signs of bubble but you know the question is what's how do we define bubble and you know I think that there are different types of bubbles at different stages. So there is. All right, the, let's uh, do it. You do your definition of bubble, and we'll go around in the circle. All right. Unless you don't want to do that. No, I'm happy to do that. All right. I'm got. Mr. Clavier. So that's the sort of seed bubble, which is um, now you have, as of this morning, 223 micro VC micro VC really? funds. So these are funds. These are funds <coughs> which have LPs. raised or are raising from limited partners that are a mix of institutional and private investors. So you were maybe the second, were you the second one? I know Josh was first. I was in the first five. So yeah. depending as to when, when you actually, sort of, whether it's when you started or when you actually closed your first fund, around the same time, uh, obviously first round, uh, you had Maples, you had uh, MD Michael Deering, uh, Steve Anderson, so all, all that sort of so cohort. So I had a lot of conversations during that time where limited partners, so those of you who are listening and don't know the structure, limited partners are the investors in venture firms. They tend to be institutions like a university or a foundation or, pension made, fund. or a, a, a pension fund. And I, w I was getting calls from our investors saying, I'm talking to these people, I'm talking to Jeff Clavier, I'm talking to Josh Koppelman, uh, and what do you think? And I would say, these are great people. What you need to figure out is, is there the capacity to make sufficient money as an institution mm -hmm. in these early seed funds? Now, it has been well established now that the answer is Fuck yeah. 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 <laughs> that was a fuck yeah from... Especially if the funds PC, grow. Right? Especially if they grow over time and those LPs are able to put more in the next fund and the next fund. So, so, so the... You know, some number of them will be successful in the same sense that the venture business, even though from 2000 to 2010 was net negative, there were a handful of venture funds that made lots of money for their LPs. So, the so now you were so back, this out. back to you, 200 and some odd so angel funds. 223. 223 micro VC funds, and and the question is, you know, with that four four and a half billion dollars, you know, uh, sort of coffers, what can allegedly be funded, be successful, and is there sort of an overfunding at the seed stage, given that everything that has half a brain gets funded? And, you know, it will take time, because those are sort of 10-year funds, any backlash will actually take a long time to actually kick in. And what we see is two things, um, top quality sort of opportunities get uh, closed very, very quickly and get overbid, so that creates attention on valuation. And, you know, I'm not complaining, it is what it is. Thank God we sort of raised one of the largest funds, 85 million, which is kind of large for a, a seed fund, that gives us an opportunity to uh, write a million five check for, you know, 10% of the company if we really like it. 
The problem is that, you know, at some point, A, it creates a, a talent shortage, which is really sort of challenging, and then that creates expectations for the next rounds with people like you that are very hard to sort of uh, fulfill. So there is definitely a seed bubble in terms of funding, and we'll see what it means when the market to raise series and series B becomes more challenging. Yeah, I, um, and, and by the way, the reality is that this echoes its way up the top. So there are more seed investors, there are more micro VCs, they, the, the demand gets higher, the supply stays more or less the same, prices go up, then, then it's a higher bar for us. But those things that are successful, then we pay a higher price or have to pay a higher price. We just had a deal that uh, went from zero term sheets to six in a week, mm -hmm. you know, and then and the price went from 35 pre-money valuation, 35 million to 55 million. And the, and the founder was surprised. <laughs> he was <laughs> like, wow, Whoa. look at that. This is nifty. Um, so you guys get the deal? Do you guys sort of pass on the deal? In this instance, we there were there were other constraints. So this is an interesting, I mean, the other constraint was an ownership question, which is, yeah. how much do you want to own of a company for it to be worth the amount of time that it will take to participate? And, you know, each of us, you have the good fortune of you're not going to sit on every board of every company, so you could, you could pick and choose, have an influence, but you could do 30 deals and mm -hmm. be on five boards. Uh, our model is do 30 deals, you're probably on 25 boards, yep. which means that you can't be on 25 boards simultaneously. So every choice is a challenge. And so in this instance, the, the ownership expectations, how much the company would have preferred to sell versus what we thought was necessary for us to be excited about spending the next decade with the company wasn't in check and they yep. took someone else's money who was very happy to just say, here's a bunch of money, go be successful. It may well be successful. We loved the company, loved the founders. It may well still be successful, but it just didn't fit our set of criteria. Which, you know, what's important to understand is that the reason why Series A firms really want, you know, 20, 25% ownership is because of the work involved in helping build the company and the fact that you're going to sit on the board, you're going to spend a lot of time with the founder. All and companies have problems. And all companies have problems. And, and our job as investors is to find the best series investor to sort of take over the support, the, the main role in supporting the company. And so that's what justifies that ownership. If someone says, well, just take 10% ownership, but I won't sit on the board, that just doesn't work. The founder is making a mistake because that, that support, the quality of the network and, and the experience that you have is required to help build the next level so of the company. I'll take a different stab at what is a bubble in terms of when there's so much exuberance and enthusiasm, price is just an indication, but it's really the number of companies and the over-optimism for companies being funded. And if you look at a time period at the 200 companies funded by the 20 branded venture firms, and then you look at five years later, how many of those companies are actually viable businesses? If you're in a bubble, very few of them are viable businesses. And if you're not in a bubble, a lot more of them yep. are viable businesses. So I think it's a different way of looking at it. And people will say, you know, 2000 was a bubble and had all these great IPOs and a lot of the companies had no revenue or they weren't profitable. And three years later, the stock, they may, may have even distributed to LPs and everybody was happy, but those companies all died and nobody yeah, actually really made any money. It just was a big fleecing. 
out in the market. And so when we look at companies now, I'd say for us, the biggest question, it's still the discussion is, is this a real business? Is it going to be able to defend itself over time? Does it have a, you know, advantages and strategies? And in a bubble, you see some companies getting funded that you're just like, it's just a bet on something exciting. Yep. Meerkat. Yeah, totally. <laughs> we'll come back. We'll come back to Meerkat. But but that's exactly right. Like and there are plenty of investors in this kind of environment who will make money on momentum. Yep. There is a ton of momentum. There's a lot of excitement, and there are public markets that can create create successful value at the end, and. And so, you know, I do think that there will be what I describe as a correction, and maybe that, so does that indicate there's a bubble? Well, it's a question whether you think a bubble has to pop or whether it can deflate a little bit, right? A, you know, but when there is a public market I correction, think a bubble has to pop. All right, so then, I, so then it may not be a bubble, because I think what's going to happen is that the public markets are going to say, eh, we're not so enthusiastic and let's take some earnings, right? This is ultimately what happens is there's this sort of downward pressure because people go, eh, it's not going to continue on this upward path. Some people start taking their profits and then people go, oh, geez, if they take too many profits, I don't have any profits. Then they take their profits and next thing you know, the market drops a thousand points, right? If the market drops a thousand points, then those momentum valuations that people have invested in are going to feel a little rich and they're going to start getting pretty nervous and people are going to stop doing that, in which case then the Series B prices are going to go down, the Series A prices are going to go down, Series, you know, the seed prices are going to go down, all this stuff is. So if we have this contraction, I think it will dramatically affect that. And then the problem for a lot of people who've raised money at these incredible prices is that. They are now in a position where they will never raise another penny. They can't. Their existing investors are in a position where they're underwater. They are not making, they're not in the foreseeable future making money. And it just puts a very big strain on these companies. And so many of them will then die. They'll die. They'll fall out of favor. Unless they're the few who, who are had a real huge businesses. war chest and they make them into real businesses and it takes time. And there was companies in 2000 that raised a lot of money. and. They were careful guys, and yeah. they made the money work, and it may, may have taken six years to get profitable, but then they became companies. I think the, the, the scenario that you're describing as sort of buy and don't buy, in the sense that, so a thousand points down on the, on the Dow is nothing. A thousand points on NASDAQ, yes, absolutely, 20% down. But He was talking NASDAQ. Okay, so the drop of 20% of the NASDAQ. Wait, interest rates go up. Right. The point is, you know, the VC industry has raised $35 billion in the last year. It's the, the single largest raise since 2000, which means that there's That's a it. lot We've of... Only four, there's a lot of capital. We raised such a small piece of it. There's, well, you know, NEA is about to close their $2.57 billion sort of fund, That's the largest it. VC fund ever. Um, the point is, there is so much money available from VCs to fund those companies that any sort of backlash would take a long time, I think, to actually adjust valuations. There's just too much enthusiasm in companies that are that are growing fast. And the one thing which is different, uh, as I said many times, the velocity of revenue sort of growth that we see now, I haven't seen in the past. Yeah, it is better. Like that you The are question is how big are the companies? How yeah. how big are those opportunities? Can they become, you know, sustainable multi hundred million dollar revenue companies with profits? Right. Right? I mean this is the thing. Back to Slack, like look 
they're growing really quickly and there are real revenues associated with people buying their product and I foresee that continuing. It's not like I don't think it's a good product that's getting paid for, which is very different from a lot of stuff we saw where it was like, oh, it's a great experience, but nobody's paying for it, right? Snapchat is not a business yet. It's worth allegedly worth billions of dollars. 2020? Okay, so someone is a genius for having invested in Snapchat at some lower price because it's worth billions of dollars, but it's making tens of dollars, right? It, it is not yet a real business. Slack is a SaaS software product that's making real money. So those things are very different. Now, it may be that Snapchat ends up being the thing that, that gets liquid at a huge amount of money, but I think that the thing that people are totally confused about is this idea of, liquid value and illiquid value, right? There's this there's this woman that I've seen talk about who she, she created something in bi in biotech. Uh, Theranos? She's the one that they're talking about as a as the, the first blood, billionaire. The blood testing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So that's on page mill. Is it is it is it realized gain or is this unrealized? She is gain? a billionaire in paper in value. In paper, right? Yeah. But she's a paper billionaire. The idea that you talk yeah. about someone as a billionaire in something that is not liquid is moronic. She is not a billionaire. Let me just say this. She may be amazing and she may ultimately be a billionaire, but when you have a private company and you can't sell that stock and, and you're not, not profitable, liquid, then you are not a billionaire. That's bullshit. I call fucking bullshit on paper billionaires. That's not a thing. That's my rant of the day. Well, thank God it's over. Yeah. Thank God we got done with that. Now we can move on with the so show. The, so the MyDash list, so list, which just got published a couple of days ago, which basically ranks some form of success of our peers in the VC industry, and none of us is on the list so we can bitch about it, is based on partially realized returns on companies like Facebook and Twitter, uh, which, you know, more power to them, real More returns. More power to them, real returns. However, the question is, okay, if you invested at, in Twitter at 20 billion or 10 billion and got out at 20 billion, okay, you got in Twitter, but what does that mean from an absolute return perspective? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that, and, and someone did a list like this where they said, okay, who are the Series A investors? Who are the seed yeah. investors, right, in these things that end up being huge? Because for two reasons. One... Was that, was that Aileen Lee did that with the with the unicorn article where she said like somebody did it was, was a great some, article there was a follow on to was uh, like, Aileen's article you know but. kudos to Sequoia and these other guys who are betting on all these logos at high prices they don't even yeah, shouldn't doesn't be considered count. Yeah, doesn't, doesn't count, count. Right? Yeah. now it's it was like series A or series it's B hard, below right? 100 series million a, valuation B, yeah. you know C yeah. like those those things if you end up being in a th in a company that turns out to be a big giant company more power to you yeah. but seeing that it has value, you know, that has momentum and putting money in at a multi-billion dollar valuation, maybe good investing, well, you may make money, but it's not what venture capital is about. That's not, that's not uh, risk investing. That's I'm sure right. I can find somebody who'd take the opposite side. Of I'm it. sure you could. Whoever's listening, feel free to come join Call us. right in. Yeah, call. See, the phone's not ringing. There's nobody no. there. I was going to meerkat us in this, uh, in this uh, program. Uh, or ship or what's the other what what's Twitter now have? Uh, Periscope. Periscope. Periscope or Periscope. Is. So there was that article on Meerkat the other day, and Jordan, somebody or other from TechCrunch, wrote it, and I and I wrote her back a note, and I said, Have you ever heard of Hangwith? Like you just wrote an article about Meerkat has invented a whole category, and Hangwith is down in LA. We are not investors in it. They're 20 times the size of Meerkat on five platforms. 
how can you write an article about how Meerkat's like invented a whole category without even looking that there's, there's another one called you now like Meerkat is really exciting in the last two weeks yeah. but there are companies that are ahead of them that are bigger than them I just well, it's, don't it's, understand the it's, press it's today. the point of the whole South by sort of darling who, you know whatever whatever the company sort of South by elects as the, the prom queen uh, or prom king, uh, king uh, is exciting for a few weeks and that's sort of the challenge and, and why we have actually not done much in pure uh, BTC plays I'm interested in the meerkat thing because they did a great job at growing very quickly, totally on Twitter as a derivative business, and maybe they're big enough now, even though Twitter tweaked them, to keep going and get over that. And if anybody can pull that off, like if they actually pull this off, that would be really brilliant. Well, yeah. well you hack your way into your early growth, and then you know once you have the basis Zynga of your network, then Facebook. Yeah, that's what Zynga did. But look at <laughs> where they are now. Yeah, well, that's a problem, right? They're going to have to find mul- more platforms. They're going to have to. And then the other question that I don't know the answer to, right? Obviously. Twitch did a great job of figuring out how to drive, you know, video, you know, making vi- real-time video into a thing that uh, and and became a big business on but, gaming. On in, gaming, in gaming, right? Yeah. And so, but there's a big difference. This brought the idea that there's going to be broadcast video. It's going to be personal, personality-driven, and it's going to be consumed in scale and all that stuff. I think it's different from Twitter. I think it's different from messaging. I think it's going to be a harder thing. I'm not this, saying, this but I think somebody's going to do it. But is it going to be? Yeah, it'll it'll exist, so. and obviously Twitter believes that they bought a a pre-launch company for over a hundred million dollars to because they wanted to have their own platform. So, but it's just it's interest. It'll be interesting to see whether this is the next great thing or if it's another thing, right? Having been an investor in Ustream since two thousand nine. I mean, it's growing those uh, those audiences is very very challenging because one issue is discovery is how do you get you know the good stuff to um, to emerge and and the bad to just I think you it's know, just a user experience away. issue and when somebody hits it on the head <clears throat> we'll just go. So I you know so uh, so Josh Elman is doing is making the investment the Series A investment in okay. that. Good for and him. His partner uh, John Lilly was at. Uh, the TED conference with me last week, and he was walking along, and he was meerkatting, and, it's, and I sort of like took, I hijacked it, and was like talking to whoever was watching. I have no idea who was watching. I'm thinking like, who's watching this? <laughs> who is watching? But you didn't this? care. You did it anyway. Of course, but I, yeah. I'm I'm happy for an audience of two. <laughs> I mean, in fact, that's what we have here today. The two of you are listening to VentureCast in real time. It's not clear whether anyone else is. <laughs> it's not even clear you pushed the record button. <laughs> <laughs> I, guess, I guess we'll find we out. There was some real noise we, at the beginning. We have had that, where, uh, where the power ran out. Or the batteries else. ran out, yeah. Um, by the way, so uh, Ted was super fun. And I had uh, I had the good fortune of being named the tech curator for this year's TED conference. So I was the guy who they like, hey, tell me about tech stuff, and I got to choose what things went on stage, which I have to tell you is an incredible amount of pressure <laughs> because that TED audience is very critical. <laughs> there sure. are a lot of people that are pretty sure they're smarter than everybody else on the planet sitting in that audience waiting for something to go up and go, that is the stupidest thing. Who's the idiot who put that on stage? Um, and I now have the good fortune uh, again to do it for next year, and so uh, I'm appealing to anyone listening who knows of completely amazing stuff that isn't out there on the planet yet uh, that they that 
they should let me know. Hornick at augustcap.com. I'm looking for great things to put on the TED stage next year. And I'm pretty sure the only way I can successfully do this is to crowdsource it, right? I mean... It's a great, it's a great idea. I have one for you. Sweet. We got one. I need six or seven more oh. by next year. <laughs> <laughs> and they all have to be groundbreaking. <laughs> okay, I'm not sure whether it's groundbreaking. It's too early now. Anything, I agree. Yeah, anything that comes in now, it's going to be like... You have to sort of do that in the last three months of the year. Oh, yeah. uh, damn it. I'm going to have that again? Because I had that. Howard knows. I was like, I flew to Florida. I flew to Seattle. I flew to L.A. in those last last weeks. You know what we should, you should do is next year, ping everybody like three months ahead who went to all the lobby conferences. And just Somebody say, hey, will send you enough stuff. Yeah, I think, that I think I'll have to... And it's basically January 1. It's like, yeah. who's ready to launch something amazing and... But it has to launch at TED? No, no, it, it okay. could be anything. Like, doc, There's this amazing professor at Stanford, uh, Fei-Fei Lee, who is a machine learning expert, and she recently demonstrated some really cool stuff where her the combination of big data taking a massive amount of photo train photos to train her system plus neural networks had gotten to the point where she and her and her graduate students could take a photo and have the computer describe it. So man sitting on a couch next to a pillow with a five on it really i mean really cool now it wasn't perfect but it's amazing so she you know she described her research that was that was amazing in fact the thing i really want to have someone talk about next year is um is data centers i'm completely fascinated by data centers there must be some researcher who knows how much power data centers are consuming and how big they're getting and how much yeah they right? consume more than the u.s military and everything yeah. i was thinking maybe 10 percent of the of, of the world's power is being consumed by data centers. now that's i just made that up. global I mean, warming is caused by data centers and bitcoins bitcoin miners and bitcoin i don't think it's you know what you never hear about bitcoin anymore well, yeah, but you know, it's because Bitcoin was just, you know, the the the, the tip of the iceberg, and then there is like it's the blockchain, and it's, it's coming. underneath. It's underneath. Have you done? Have you guys done anything in Bitcoin? We have not. We have at least one partner who believes that Bitcoin is complete sophistry. Uh, there are others of us who are still who who understand and appreciate the power of the protocol, mm -hmm. um, but feel it's early in the cycle, and obviously it's all about timing because if. If it turns out to be a wildly powerful protocol, and you bet at the right time, you're going to make an, an infinite amount of money. Yep. If you bet early, you'll make nothing, and if you bet late, you'll make a little bit. And so we run the risk of being late, uh, but uh, but we are not the early, we're not going to be early in this market. Yeah. How about so, you? No, we 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 saw Coinbase very early on, which is sort of the largest uh, wallet, whatever sort of consumer play in Bitcoin today. I think um, we just passed on everything. I'm just not a big believer in the in the currency, and we're looking at blockchain based. So um, when there is a topic which I'm interested in, uh, I basically take the meetings to um, sort of figure out what entrepreneurs are doing, and then uh, try and form an opinion. So I'm taking a bunch of blockchain-based sort of, you know, uh, trading systems or, uh, you know, things that basically leverage the blockchain and yeah. the, the general ledger. I haven't found anything that wasn't sort of um, either science fiction or <laughs> really sort of practically applicable yeah. at this point. Well, you know, smart, smart people, smarter than I, have bet on it and believe that it's now, not later, and... And smarter people than you bought Bitcoin at a thousand, and now it's two hundred and something. 
<laughs> that hurts. That was my worst trade of last year. <laughs> I shorted. Worst I shorted heavy money. at nine hundred. I'm happy. You shorted what? You shorted Bitcoin? You're not shorting Bitcoin. I'm sure you could. Sure my you two worst trades last year were buying Bitcoin at you know uh, eight hundred or nine hundred, and then Twitter at um, seventy. But it'll, Twitter will go back to seventy. I don't know. Bitcoin will go back to a thousand. I see. I'm just not a shorter, but you know I am short. But I am not a shorter. I am. Uh, uh, I think that I'm too much of an optimist. That I just think that's like it runs counter to my entire worldview. So it's just mean spirited. I think that shorting is mean spirited. I'm gonna put it out if there. If you if you think about like population is increasing and there's all this energy, like everything is pushing towards going up, not towards going down. I totally agree with you. And as a unprotected bet like shorting makes no sense it's limited upside unlimited downside yeah so that's a that's a yeah like i want the other thing which is limited downside you lose your money unlimited upside i exactly. prefer that i was talking with a, um, a hedge fund manager a friend of mine about his shorting strategy and i agree with you you know we, we're optimists we, we take risk every day by making those crazy investments and but when he but, says those are crazy investments. I'm going to short them. Yeah, and 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 basically <laughs> listening to him and and how he selects the stocks he's going to be shorting and and how he sort of loses his shirt every time. It's well, they, they had a story on NPR about it, and some NPR uh, reporter went to the leading shorters, like the leading short funds, to talk with them and said, "I want we we've gathered up our money at NPR and we want to short." And each of these three uh, three portfolio managers said. Yeah, don't do that. That's terrible. Like that's a terrible idea. Don't do. That. And the other thing is, they were so, They sounded to me. Uh, now I'm gonna get myself in trouble with the shorters, but they sounded like they don't such, listen to this podcast. So, they sounded like such used car salesmen. It was like, well, you know, we look for the things that are gonna suck, and whatever, but don't do it. Don't do it. Whatever you do. So what 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 is exciting to you guys these days? What are the things that you look for or? I don't know. You tell us. We're waiting for you. We're waiting for your most exciting companies. We're ready. Well, I've actually just introduced one to Howard, which I think is a good one. It's not for everyone, but I think it's a really good one. Well, if it's not for everyone, it's probably for Howard. That's how we invest. That's exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what Vivek said. That is exactly what Vivek said. Vivek said this is for Howard. Yeah. So why are you showing me? This? We love you, Howard. By the way. This is just a theory that I would rather be in something that's different that not everybody else is in than being in number thirty-two in a crowded market. It's just. No, I look. I get that. Completely. I'm not smart enough to pick a winner amongst five, and all five teams are smart and hardworking. Like it's really hard to pick a winner. But you can pick. You can pick something that's by itself, and if it wins, at least it's by itself. But here was here, so you know Howard. Howard and I have this conversation. We agree with this. And um, the other thing that's weird is so you say, oh, what are we excited about? Well, I've spent a year kind of doing other, you know, looking at things, trying to find good deals, and then. Got excited about two companies in the course of three weeks or something, hugely different. One kind of in a in a tech-supported media space, the other in a SaaS company. Um, we wouldn't have chosen these particular business. If you'd say, "Oh, I go find these businesses," mm-hmm. we wouldn't have chosen them. Um, both super interesting businesses. So I think the beauty of the venture business is that you have no idea. Like you have mm-hmm. no idea. And then when you see it, you're like, "Holy crap!" Right? This company that. Uh, that, that we're looking at right now after Howard said, huh, that's the most interesting thing I've seen in six months. But if I'd asked him about going I have into no the, idea if there's a market for them to make a lot of money, but I, I think it's interesting that they're doing. And, and I, I think and it's I worth think the bet. There, and I think there's an opportunity yeah. for it to be a yeah. multi-billion dollar company. Generally, if the market is totally clear, it's too late anyway. Yeah. So the argument is, you know, what's your, your downside is you lose the money and your upside is infinite. 
There you go. That's what you're looking for. That's a great sort of ending thought. Yeah. Ending thought, because you've got a meeting to go to. That's it. That's a good ending thought. Thank you so much, Mr. Jeff Clavier of Softech VC. Premier guest. Of Accent VC. We we appreciate it. Thick Accent. Thick Accent VC. Um, I am David Hornick from August Capital. And Howard Hartbaum from August Capital. And And that was Jeff Clavier. Always being sort of joked around because of his accent. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to auto-tune him. Loved, <laughs> loved, adored because of his accent. And this has been VentureCast. Always being sort of joked around because of his accent.